Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So this week, Jim, something completely different. The first of three local efforts, and all three are quite different, to bridge divides and renew democracy. We went on the road, reporting and listening instead of merely chatting, first in Iowa. We're doing these shows because we believe the best way to begin healing our dysfunctional, angry, divided politics is to start from the ground up in communities where people actually know each other and can start these conversations. And those solutions involve us, not just the media or politicians, us in our daily lives with constructive conversations. So, Richard, let's kick things off with a new push for civility. With just weeks to go before the midterm elections, nearly 200 people gathered in a large conference room in Des Moines for an event called Revive Civility Iowa Community Conversations. I'm Scott Racker. I'm the executive director of the Robert D. and Billy Ray Center here at Drake University, and we are honored and thrilled to have you for our community conversations regarding civility and civil discourse. Richard, so you went to a two-hour character development workshop, which sounds like something I could use, uh, and they had various strategies aimed at helping people be more civil with their neighbors, families, work colleagues, anyone they may have some sort of disagreement with. This is the seventh of eight community conversations that are taking place across Iowa. They've been in partnership with the National Institute for Civil Discourse. In our last episode, we spoke with the head of the National Institute for Civil Discourse, Carolyn Lukensmeyer, who told us that community building and renewing our democracy begin with each of us. So we're in a purple state, Iowa, to see what one local effort looks like. But why is it needed? I mean, are things that bad in Iowa? I have always had the impression people were pretty nice in the Midwest. Richard, you spoke with an expert on Iowa politics. My name is Kathy Obradovich. I'm the opinion editor at the Des Moines Register. Kathy Obradovich has been writing about politics in Iowa for 30 years. And first I asked her about local versus national. Don't most people have more faith in local politics? My feeling, my gut feeling, is that you're right, that local institutions are trusted more uh, than than Washington in particular. And and that includes the media to some some extent as well, that people trust their local media outlets more than they trust the national news media. 
I, I think people know their, for example, their city officials. They know their mayor. They know their city council members personally. Uh, they go to church. They see them in the gym, in the grocery store. And, uh, you know, the same for school leaders, county officials. So I think they're more likely to recognize and, um, you know, feel a little bit more confident in people like that than, than those that they just don't see very often. Politically, this is a very important state. Iowa usually holds the first presidential contest. How do you see things here? Until recently, Iowa government has been divided um, most of the time. Um, our famous long-term governor, Terry Branstad, who is the longest-serving governor in the history of the United States, uh, which is amazing to me, uh, he governed most of his time with at least one chamber of the legislature in the opposite party's hands. Uh, I think that leads to an expectation among Iowans that – government will provide a check and balance against uh, the excesses of one party or another. Um, currently, we have now Republican control of the governor's office, both chambers of the legislature, and the le- and I think possibly in the expectation that the pendulum may swing back because Iowa, I think, is still a purple state regardless of what it looks like right now. We're going to an event this afternoon called Revive Civility. Is there a need for that? Is there a need to speak in in a more civil way? I think that it goes deeper than just civility. But yes, I I do think there's a big need for it. And uh, it's not a partisan thing. You know, this is not just a, you know, shake our fists at what Donald Trump has brought to our national discourse. It goes deeper to our ability to speak to and understand each other and our ability to actually work together. One of the things I've noticed really in the last five or six years, growing erosion an understanding of common facts. People do not agree on what the facts are anymore. People don't believe the government data. They don't believe uh, the media. They don't believe science and research. And so, therefore, we don't really have a common set of facts that we can talk about. And when we don't have a common set of facts, then our conversation quickly deteriorates into name-calling and personal attacks and just trying to shout over each other. You say in the last five to six years in your experience, things have changed. It's been going on longer than that. What's behind that? You take cable news, for example. How much time is cable news spending actually covering the news as opposed to having talking heads on spinning the news and and giving their opinions about the news? I I saw a study saying that that amount of time spent actually reporting the news has diminished and that the amount of time spent giving opinions about the news is greatly increased. Uh, You add to that the fact that people will only watch the station where the spin mostly agrees with their own preconceived notions. Uh, they're, They're not hearing straight facts. What they're hearing is facts through this partisan filter. Now, those are national examples. What about here in Iowa? Well, people here in Iowa are affected by national examples. In fact, if you look at the issues people care about here, they are, by and large, the same issues that people care about around the country, um, even even to the extent of issues that might more likely affect big 
big cities than than rural areas. So, so I think people here are affected and and pay attention to national trends, et cetera. But I also think that that our our method of of relating to each other filters down from the national level into our local politics as well. The first thing I heard when I arrived in Des Moines this morning was an ad on the radio for uh, the governor's race. And it was an ad on behalf of the Republican, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. And it was very negative. Yonkers was the heart of our town. So Fred Hubble shut it down and fired everyone. The only paycheck Fred Hubble cared about was his own. Have we seen a lot of that? And is that typical? That has been very typical this cycle. One of the things that we have seen the last several major elections in Iowa is personality politics winning out over a focus on issues. Now here in 2018, we have Governor Kim Reynolds, who is a strong personality. She's a bubbly person. She's very likable. And she's running a personality-based attack campaign against her opponent, even to the point of criticizing him for being a wealthy businessman who is out of touch with the average person in Iowa. Hello, Donald Trump, you know. And so they're running basically the same campaign against Fred Hubble that Democrats ran against Donald Trump in 2016. It's amazing. So I'm really interested in this. How has... It changed. What has changed? It has changed a lot in the sense that people who used to be able to put party politics aside and work for common interests are just fewer and fewer. The number of prominent moderates in Iowa politics, I can probably count on one hand. Kathy Obradovich of the Des Moines Register, and as she says, politics in Iowa and elsewhere have been nastier, more rigidly partisan, with a greater emphasis on personalities than issues. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davis. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we'll be talking about solutions coming up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Richard, you went to that civility workshop. What was it like? What did you learn? As we mentioned, it took two full hours, and there was a lot of advice or tools for anyone who either wants to be more civil or work with others to get something done or or merely have a a polite, respectful conversation with a member of the family who sees life very differently than they do. So our goal today is simply this. 
to equip you with strategies to have civil community conversations. We are not going to solve any community issues today. Jeff Cleaver of the Ray Center was the lead trainer at this session. One of the first things he said, Jim, is that the biggest mistake most of us make when we try to solve problems with others is we suggest they change their minds. That's the last step. What we want to work on today are all of the things that make it more likely, more possible that we can get to resolution, that we can get to a place where we can negotiate compromise amongst one another. We want to start at the bottom of the pyramid with how do we address mindset? How do we build relationships? How do we listen and learn from other people? How do we teach and communicate our ideas? Those are all the things that we have to get good at if we're ever going to have the ability to invite change. And this one really hit home with me. If we want to get better at civility, I need to get better at civility. The statistics are clear, and you can cite any number of studies. This one is from Civility in America. 69% of Americans believe that civility is a major problem in our society. An additional 24% believe that civility is a minor issue in our society. That means 93% of us look around and say, man, civility is a problem. 93% of us. The problem is most of us look around and say, man, you guys are not very good at civility. I'm pretty good at it, but ugh, the rest of us have some work to do. So how do we start to change, Jim? Well, you know, workshops like this are really important, and I would love to see this movement spread across the country. But I worry a little bit that the word civility doesn't quite capture what's important here. It makes it sound like, oh, we just all need to be nicer. But it's more than that. It's about learning to actually listen to what the other person is saying instead of trying to find a way to pigeonhole them. And the civility actually flows more naturally once you commit to try to do that. So part of the exercise here was a video that the crowd watched, and it was about a very unlikely friendship between two people, Bob and Donna. One was the leader of a conservative evangelical Christian organization that opposed gay marriage, among other things, and the other one, one of the best-known advocates in Iowa for LGBTQ rights. Well, Donna and I, we see the world very differently. In uh, our view on marriage, on sexuality, and probably on a host of a lot of other issues. I guess you'd have to say that my impression of Bob was not only he was the opposition, he was the enemy. Uh, I've probably made statements about her and her organization in the press. She's probably made statements about me and my organization in the press. We, we weren't natural allies. We weren't natural coffee buddies. But that's what they became, coffee buddies. It began with a meeting after they exchanged emails for the first time. I remember walking in just, just being very nervous. I had no idea what to expect, none at all. Well, you know, the skeptic in me thought she would have an agenda, and she probably thought I might have an agenda. But as soon as we sat down, I thought, she doesn't have an agenda. She just wants to get to know who I am. And that really compelled me to say, I should want to get to know who she is. I think when people have the courage to show you who they are, uh, something happens. And so what surprised me about Bob was his humanity. Uh, he's an incredible dad. I also found him to be really funny, and I didn't expect that at all. But we laugh, we laugh a lot. Uh, Donna's a very good person. She's a passionate person, so regardless, if I agree or disagree with her on the issues, I have a tremendous respect for her. 
For a long time, I've been really tired of the hate and the aggression and the kind of snarkiness. We can disagree without being disagreeable. We can fight the good fight in the court of public opinion, but we don't have to hurt each other. Donna Redwing and Bob Vanderplatz met about once a month for coffee until early this year. Donna died during the spring after suffering from lung cancer. Her family asked Bob to speak at her funeral. You know, I think everybody there was as moved by that story as you and I were. After that video played, the revived civility participants were put to work. And what we want you to do is think of a person in your life with whom you disagree. And we want you to make a commitment to connect with that individual. It could be a family member or a colleague. Remember, when you make this connection, the purpose is not to change their mind. The purpose is to connect. Find someone with whom you disagree and build some relationships. Maybe it will help you ultimately come to a compromise. Maybe not. But I do think it will help you form more respect for that person, see that person as an individual instead of a set of ideas, and hopefully help you have more fruitful conversations moving forward. So respect for the other person is crucial. We want to assume best intentions. If we look for the worst in people, we will find it. We want to listen to understand first, then listen to reply. Give people space and time to tell their story. Memo to self, Jim. Don't interrupt. (laughs) That's going to be hard for both of us. Other tips. Bring humility to the table. Be curious. Focus on issues rather than personalities. That's a really big one for me because I think it's really getting harder for people to do that. You know, in some ways, if you do the opposite of what you see a lot of politicians do today, you might be on the right track. Another ground rule is to use words that help others understand what you're saying. Many of us communicate using different language and different phrases. So you mean something like, If you're in a discussion about some policy question and you say, well, it's just social justice, if they're not from that kind of background, they may not quite get what you mean by social justice or it might even be a buzzword that turns them off. But if you said it's just fairness, then they might be more sympathetic to your viewpoint. So, again, the object is not to get those people over there, the other side, to change their minds, at least not yet. In life all aspects of our life. There will be conflict. There will be confrontation. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But how do we do it well? How do we approach conflict and confrontation from a place about, I care about us. I care about the success of our community. I care about the success of our organization. I care about the success of you. Because I care about this, I'm going to have the difficult conversation to make sure that we are moving forward. That's how we want to approach this. One way to do it well, says Jeff Cleaver, is not to blame others, but to accept that you or your side has to be part of how to fix it. And when we get to this portion, we want to talk about win-win negotiation. So in other words, negotiation is not a competition where winner takes all or zero-sum game. Often both sides win. So to summarize, when we're engaging in these community conversations, when we're trying to maintain our civility and having these conversations, we do not start with the inviting change. We got to do all the groundwork first. The last thing I'll mention about this is as you're having these conversations, if you find yourself struggling, it usually means you need to do more work on the step blower. Jeff Cleaver, who led the two-hour workshop. 
Richard spoke with some of the participants and asked for their reactions. We start with Farika Rudison, Imhotep, who says that being more civil doesn't always work for her. I think overall it's good that um, the community has taken an initiative to talk about civility and communicating with our neighbors. But I'm perplexed because I think the conversation was so much of a bird's eye view and and not really targeted because I think depending on the community you live in, that's going to determine how you communicate with your neighbors. So, you know, some of the things that would apply to the majority of the audience may not apply to me and my community. Like some of that stuff is just not going to work. If an issue persists, then it might come a time where I have to tell my neighbor, hey, you are wrong. You know, and, and I think that gets lost in, in trying to appease someone or trying to re- remain friendly. We lose the, the solution in some of that sometimes. But do you think there is a problem with lack of civility, that people are talking past each other or at each other rather than listening to each other? Absolutely. I would be a fool to say otherwise. Let's come up with a common definition of what it is to be civil. Let's start there. I didn't hear that defined today. I have my own idea of what civility is, but the person sitting next to me might have a whole different idea, you know, of what that is for him and his family. Okay, well, what does civility mean to you? The golden rule. Treat someone the way you want to be treated. It sounds good, too, but it's really broad. You know, I might want someone to be direct with me and say, hey, your garbage can is on my property line. I I don't want the whole small talk, chit-chat convo. Just tell me what the problem is. But for other people, they might require that relationship first. You spoke to a few more participants in the workshop. Here's some of what they learned. I think there are moments where you need to just pause and not be so reactive. And so I think that was some of what I got from today is to give yourself a little bit of space to think before just reacting. What caught me was when he said, uh, you know, you give up some of your control when you give up responsibility for, say, something went wrong or something like that. Like, uh, you know, you give up the ability to uh, play a role in solving a problem when you end up basically blaming someone else. I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it. It's best to to sit back and and think for a second before you just react and open your mouth. Uh, Too many times we we just blurt out something because we feel a certain way. Yeah, for me, it's more like learning how to understand more about other people and where they're coming from. Um, because in the past, sometimes I would get upset about things, but I didn't understand where the other person was coming from. And I felt like if I had asked clarifying questions, perhaps I would have had a better understanding. So then we could have had a better conversation. Um, I learned to, as I always learn, but don't practice to listen more. Um, don't try and solve. And Marie mentioned something, and I hope I'm saying this right about when we're talking about our neighbors relationships versus a transaction in remembering what the end goal is. Is that right? Building building relationship instead of kind of a one and done. So that win-win, instead of I win, somebody loses. Do you think there's a greater need for this now than there used to be? Well, America's been America for 
for 200 plus years. So uh, <laughs> the same story, somebody might say 200 years from now. Do you think we need this now? Yes, we need it if we're going to be human and treat people like human beings. Well, Richard, it sounds like you had a really good experience out there. I was sorry that I wasn't able to go out on the road with you. And I, I'm impressed that this is happening. You know, we hear so much about how polarized our politics have gotten, and it's really true. I don't think we're making this up. But there's this counter-movement starting. It's got a lot of different dimensions. We hear it a lot from many of the people we've interviewed on How Do We Fix It. Going all the way back to Joan Blades in one of our early shows, she's the one who started Living Room Conversations. But now it's really getting down to the grassroots, and hopefully this will be something that, that catches on. Do you see you know, a day when the idea of restoring civility is kind of a you know, sweeping the nation? What struck me, Jim, about this civility workshop and the participants who responded afterwards is that this really isn't just about civility. It's not just about being polite and getting everybody to be moderate and to agree with each other. The problem we're having is not that we disagree. It's that we don't seem to be able to communicate or understand what the other side is saying. One of the things I learned at the workshop is that this is not just about issues or broad concepts. It's about what we ourselves bring to the table, that we're not always right, that we, if we're well, going speak for to your, try... Well, speak for yourself, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> that if we're going to try and move the ball forward and have a true conversation, we need to bring humility to the table, and we need to realize that, hey, we need to take that on board in, in, in a well-intentioned way. Exactly. What is the purpose of having a conversation at all if you can't acknowledge even the slight possibility that you might change your mind in some way? So that humility to say, maybe I'll learn something. Maybe I'll, I'll be exposed to some information or a point of view or a story that influences me. That's the whole point, that, the whole reason that we have these conversations. And you can't get there if you've already decided to shut out the other person and to shut the door in your own mind to the notion that you may be just slightly mistaken about something. Yeah, and so this is personal. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And special thanks to our friends at Solutions Journalism Network for giving us a grant to cover travel and other expenses. This episode looked at a revived civility event in Iowa. Next, we go to Minnesota for a living room conversation at a community college that deals with race and some other really difficult issues. Plus, more about the group Better Angels from one of its co-founders. Thanks for listening. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Check out our website at DaviesContent.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.